Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. I know it's been a little long, but holy cow, work has been pretty crazy. Uh, We have kicked off the season. We have guests here, and the boats are being used. I actually taught a lesson today. Holy smokes. Cheers to that. We're feeling pretty good. A lot of stuff to catch up on, a lot of uh, interesting topics. Hopefully, uh, people will find them interesting tonight. And uh, yeah, other than that, let's just kick this show off. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Josh and his voyage from the West Coast out to Hawaii. Uh, he's about to make landfall. And then a few other things, little, little notes on Matt Rutherford and his voyage. I'm really enjoying watching his videos on YouTube. That is just pretty funny stuff. Uh, we'll get into that. And then I did want to mention a little bit towards the end of the show about using a pole on a sailboat for pulling out your staysail, your jib, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I had a little bit of a request from one of our wonderful listeners. So before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to help support Sailing Into Oblivion, keep it going on into the future, you can consider becoming part of the Patreon family, these wonderful people that see fit to uh, throw me a bone now and again, which is fantastic. I appreciate it so, so much. So you can follow the link to the Patreon page and all that sort of stuff. We've still got the merch line, obviously, out there. Big thanks again to SailJunkie.com. Check out uh, Mike's blog and Sailing Magazine and all that stuff. Great articles, everything on there. Very, very cool. He hooked me up with the new shirt design and everything. And uh, link in the description for those for the merch line. Other than that, if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com, you can uh, just follow the podcast button and go to contact the show. Those go directly to me. So now here we are. It is evening time after a long day with a about an 8 a.m. start and about a 9 p.m. finish. Holy cow. And I, I got to tell you, it, my, my voice might be a little nasally. I'm about to... <laughs> about to sneeze oh there's something in the air i'll tell you i don't know what it is but today the winds shifted out of the north northeast and i am paying the price holy cow let me just pause here for a quick second and then we're gonna pick back up after i blow my nose and we're back holy cow yeah i don't think anybody wants to hear all that so hopefully if it continues then uh we'll just push this show back but i don't think we'll i think i'm good now but man it was crazy. Uh, you know, the, the air finally cleared up. We had obviously like a lot of the eastern United States uh, were suffering from that crazy amount of smoke coming down from the wildfires up in Canada. And here in Michigan, it really was, eh, you, there was one day, well, <clears throat> we actually had fires up here as well in, uh, I, I think it's like Gaylord or Grayling. Just south of us, uh, about three or 4,000 acres burn up, and it was pretty smoky up here. But before that, we were getting affected by the, the Canadian stuff. And, you know, it sort of turns the sun uh, and the sky a bit orange, and you almost feel like you could look at the sun. It's a little dimmed out, uh, I guess is the best way to describe it. But couldn't really smell it up here, but we definitely uh, could see it and... Yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, that stuff is sort of calming down. I know we got a little bit of rain today. We're hopefully going to get some good rain tomorrow. Everybody's sort of in a drought up here. Meanwhile, down south, they're getting uh, tons of thunderstorms and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, got to keep my eye on the weather. Old Sparrow's down there, Cape Hatteras region, and I'm not seeing any tropical disturbances at this point that uh, threaten that, but... It's on my mind, so I'm definitely paying attention a bit more. It is it is very unlike uh, any of the times where I leave the boat up in Maine because up there I just sort of feel like it's home, it's safe, nothing's going to happen uh, besides Murph maybe hopping on board one night or something, missing, missing 
missing cocktail hour with old J Rome. Talked to him the other night. He's pretty funny. Gosh almighty, he is something else. I'll tell you. You you get friends like that. You just keep that you keep that friendship alive. You do whatever it takes. If you if you're not around them much, uh, you definitely give them a call every once in a while just to check in, make sure uh, make sure you maintain those relationships because they are the spice of life. I'll drink to that. This one's for you, Murph. I got a half shot of Jägermeister. Oh yeah, mm. that's terrible. Ah, I love it. I found these funny. Teeny little bottles, you know, those they have like a shooter, which is like a shot or a shot and a half, but these are 20 milliliters, so it's even tinier. Uh, it's like a mini shooter, so I had to get them, but in any event, uh, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, so the, the air kind of cleared up, and then for whatever reason, the wind picked up today, and oh man, just right straight out of the gun this morning, I'm just sneezing, and then my nose is running. And I had to get in the water. I had to do a capsized demo on this little tiny boat called a sun or a uh, a butterfly, which is essentially it kind of looks like an e scow, except it's only about ten feet long, twelve feet long maybe, and just a teeny little boat, just a mainsail on it and everything. But I was teaching a few people today, and one of the things I always like to do is the capsized demo, so you can see it's no big deal. Oh, but the water is cold, and it was maybe 50, 55 degrees today. And the thing is, it's not so bad. You know, you got to get in. Then you get out. Um, but then I proceeded to have to continue teaching the lesson for another, like, two hours. So I'm out on a Boston Whaler coaching and all that. And I know it might sound like I'm griping away, but, man, by the time I got back, I couldn't feel my hands. I couldn't feel my feet. And came up to my room, had to take a hot shower, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, boy, the core temperature definitely got a little bit low. It, you know, hypothermia is definitely something you have to, you really do have to watch out for. In my, in my golden years now that I'm aging so, uh, so quickly, uh, it really is one of those things where you do kind of have to keep an eye on that. I mean, you know, today wasn't so bad, obviously, but I think about some of the times where I've been really cold out at sea. And yeah, uh, it's one of those things I know when, uh, excuse me, when I'm in the cockpit, like let's say at night, which is usually when you're getting chilly anyway, if I'm even feeling a little bit nippy, I will immediately go down below and I will throw another layer of thermals on, uh, anything. Usually you can get away with just doing just the act of unzipping and taking off like your foul weather gear and then whatever, like a poof jacket or sweatshirt and then putting another thermal on underneath that and then putting stuff back on and then putting the foul weather gear back on. That's typically enough to make you almost sweat. And so you're already sort of heated up again and then you go up on deck and you're, you're pretty much okay. But it's one of those things where I, I, there's been times where you can sort of go with the flow and try to sort of just grin and bear it, but why? Why do that? If you feel it at all like you're chilly, just go down, put more layers on. I've always been a huge proponent of layers, all about layers. Even on the Appalachian Trail, basically had just layers. Um, and when it was cold, I wore all of them. And when it was hot, I only had like the, you know, board shorts and little sleeveless T-shirt thing or whatever. But yeah, it's... Uh, I've always believed in thermals and lots of layers. That way you can peel them off, put them on, change your covering and your heat source uh, from as the weather changes as well. So a little top tip there, a little tangent. But in any event, yeah, so winds changed all of a sudden. I'm just sneezing. I'm up there on dock and everything. I'm looking out. It's a beautiful lake, all this sort of stuff. But, boy, I am just cold. So... Finally did get the uh, nice, big, steamy, hot shower after work and all that sort of stuff, which was good. Um, and that actually, like, superheated me. And I realized that I did not wear any sunscreen, even though it was super cloudy all day. Definitely got a bit roasted. I always forget that, especially not so much, like, normally if it's cloudy and it's hot, I still put on sunscreen. But, man, you get that uh, cloudy, cold day, and you just think, wow, there's nothing. I'm, I don't need any sunscreen. And then end of the day you feel it and that actually <clears throat> i've always found turns into uh, a i don't know if it's your body is like trying to release heat or what but i if i get a good sunburn even if it's not cold that night i feel a chill 
Does anybody else feel that? I don't know. You can send an email to sailingintooblivion.com. <laughs> Tell us your sunburn stories. Yes, very interesting stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, a lot of work. A lot of work. Over the last couple of weeks, it's all been the setup and the anticipation. And, you know, essentially, at this, at this place that I'm working at, you know, we've got all these boats. We've got a lot of ensigns, Hobie cats, all that sort of stuff, lasers. And, man... You try, you only have a couple of weeks to get everything ready. And in that time, you really are trying to basically tune everything up to uh, a certain high standard. And you, like I said, you only have so much time. There's only so much uh, man hours and all that sort of stuff. Or I should say person hours, people hours. And yeah, you're you're aiming for it and you're just gunning for it. And I think I took... One, maybe two afternoons off in the last few weeks just to sort of decompress a little. And I don't know. It's always worth it to me, I think, to just push really hard because then once the season starts and the guests come, then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's day to day standard standard ops, if you will. And, you know, you're still always going to be ma- maintaining and, and fixing and trying to juice stuff up. But at the same time. It's a little different because you don't want to burn out, so you got to kind of go with the flow, do things when you can, uh, but you're not going to work 12, 15 hours every single day uh, to get it done, or at least I'm not, not at my age anymore. Back in my 20s and 30s, heck yeah, I used to just jump in, but uh, I don't think they want me so much for uh, my my strength. It's more for uh, my brain and my knowledge at this point. Finally, I've reached that <laughs> that that absolute wonderful area in life where your uh, your experiences and what you've done actually are worth something. Uh, so that's actually kind of quite a nice feeling at this point. So that being said, uh, yeah, we're kicking things off. We got heck of a team, heck of a team. Uh, some pretty some pretty new sailors and such, but uh, I've always seen that as something that's kind of fantastic. It, it allows you to help and be part of the process of sort of molding new sailors and new sailing instructors. And I've always thought that that's pretty interesting because I still learn stuff from other people that I teach. They'll, you know, they'll have little tricks here and there. I mean, just the other day we were having a meeting with basically the the two guys that are running the show. Cause I'm sort of the background guy and um, yeah, we're going over this schedule that I'd gone over a thousand times before. And he made a point, uh, about one little aspect where we're trying to figure out the lesson plan and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, told him, I was like, I have never thought about that. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. And it's, you know, it's little things like that, being open to sort of stuff. I've always felt like no matter how much experience you have with something, it's never out of the question that you might learn something and somebody new might be able to teach you something as well. So you know, there's definitely a lot to be said about the old dog that knows all the tricks, but uh, there's also something to be said about teaching an old dog a new trick. All right, nose blowing break. Be right back. And we're back. Holy cow! We might have to do that a few times. It just it's uh, it's running. It's running like a marathon guy. Uh, it's just woof. It's uh, it's pretty bad. It's like my body temperature is over calculating or calibrating from being so cold today that it's running hot to sort of make up the difference. And uh, that mixed in with whatever is in the air, pollen or whatever, that's making my sinuses go bananas. It is essentially running out of me like a faucet. So as uh, wonderful as that visual might have been. um, Yeah. So old dog, new tricks, all that sort of stuff. It's been good. It's been really good. It's a challenging sort of role that, that I find myself in, but and I'm screwing things up here and there, uh, you know, sometimes coming in a little too hot. But, hey, you know, I'm uh, I'm as full of it as anybody. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to do it, just trying to make things work. And uh, I'm going to make mistakes. Others are going to make mistakes. And that's just how we roll. It's it's where you go after you make those mistakes, I think, that, that really says something. Uh, I believe there's a term for it. Maybe it's called character. I'm not too sure. But, uh yeah, yeah, we're all just trying to get through it, right? So anyway, I wanted to move on just a little bit. I want to talk about my buddy Josh out there, the guy I've never met in my life, but we've had a bit of a, a tango via the internet as far as 
his girlfriend and myself, and he's out there on the ocean. Boy, that sounds bad, right? No, it's all good. Uh, you know, he's been out there for uh, quite some time now, actually. Uh, I want to say at least a few weeks. And uh, he's within spitting distance. He can probably see Hawaii at this point. He's headed to Hilo. And right now, at the current moment, he's doing about three and a half knots. And let's see what his latest update is. Fingers crossed. Hope, hope, hope. I hope to get into that harbor before dark. We will deal with it one way or the other. After I made my new course heading this morning, we got hit by some weather. It was rainless squall that went for two hours. Seas maybe 10 feet. I'm sure I'm exaggerating. Wind definitely in the 20s. Cliff of wind vane. We are headed as close to the direct on course. My bird friends from last night rode with me until the squall. They got a free ride of more than 50 miles. Good system. Good system they got there. Good system. Yeah, I know, right? Hitchhikers out there. Hitchhikers of the sea. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. So he's in, it sounds like he's in good spirits. Um, I know it was a little bit, uh, crazy in the beginning with the heavy weather and the wind vane not working all that well and all that sort of stuff but i'll tell you that's all part of it that really is and it's a crucial part of any sort of voyage like that and i almost want to say that oh geez like my nose is like raw i almost want to say that you do a passage a multi-week passage or let's say a week or more uh and you don't have a little little smattering of some bad weather and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's almost like you're not really getting to see it all, experience it all. Um, you do need those lows to really feel the highs. And I recall when I, myself and Bo Jangles, the old AT buddy that uh, met on the 2012 Appalachian Trail hike. Uh, he came along from Buford, South Carolina, up to Maine, and we were able to do that one in about nine and a half days. And we had perfect weather for the first seven. And then we got out of the Gulf Stream up near the Cape Cod area. I believe we went in between Georgia's Bank and Cape Cod through the South Channel. And, uh, and then we saw some weather. We saw fog. We saw some shifty winds, some bad tides, all that sort of stuff, overcast some rain, and then got into the Gulf of Maine and had some pretty nice days after that. But, you know, it kind of made the trip a little bit. It, it added a little bit of spice into it. I know for Bojangles, it was sort of one of those things where he wanted to see it. A lot of people that come on boats and do passages for their first time are always very keen, or at least they say they are, and I believe them. I believe them. They're keen to get into a little bit of heavy weather. They just want to they, they want to see what it's like. You know, they want to test themselves. And typically, it's one of those things where they find out they find out quick, and then they also find out how miserable it, it actually can be. A lot of times, it has to do with like seasickness for sure. But even if you don't have a seasickness, eh, it just makes life a little bit more challenging. You know, you got to remember like we're you're living out there on the sea. So you are cooking and you're sleeping and you're eating and you're trying to move around the boat and you're trying to stay dry. And a lot of those things don't come very easy uh, when you're having to deal with heavy weather. So fine weather is fine. Heavy weather is heavy. And uh, you need a little bit of both, I think, to make a really good ocean passage and uh, Josh out there on his boat he definitely saw some ugly weather and uh, was able to sort of fight through it get some sleep by going hove to kicking back relaxing for a little bit weather changed winds changed um, and he was able to enjoy the ride from about about one third of the way out to just about the whole rest of the way which it's pretty good. I've, I've always been interested in that passage from uh, like L.A. or San Francisco to Hawaii. I've always thought that'd be a pretty neat run. I mean, it's a downwinder for sure. I feel like I'd want to just like broad reach the heck out of it. All right. Nose break. And we're back. So I would just, you know, broad reach it like crazy, uh, you know, turn. And I wouldn't even mind if I turned like a three week trip into a six week trip. If I could broad reach just quality stable boat doing six seven knots you know riding the waves 
I'd zigzag my way all the way down there across that Pacific. I think that would be just an absolute blast. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to sort of see. I've got these like these game plans uh, or these these thoughts in my head, and they grow more and more uh, about getting into the Pacific. You know, I want to go back to the Caribbean. Obviously, uh, that's always just sort of a fun. Fun place, lots of friends, lots of memories, lots of new adventures to be had. I haven't seen, you know, most of the islands down there are still a mystery to me. But there's that old thing about, you know, it's never going to be the right time. Don't wait until tomorrow. All those cliche sort of things. And the Pacific has haunted my dreams for a long time. Uh, and I've, I've damped it down. I've packed it away. I've, I've pushed it into the back of my mind for many, many years. And not so much that I was like, oh, I'll do that someday sort of thing, but more of, uh, I had more pressing things to do. Um, you know, I wanted to try and get in one more really big, big trip, that sort of thing. And, uh, although most of those have failed, I don't want to say failed miserably, but failed epically. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think I'm getting to the point where it might be time for a little little uh, change up from the solo action sort of thing. I mean, there's basically two schools of thought going on in my brain. One is that I just somehow get Sparrow over to the West Coast. So the, uh, the Panama Canal, figure out what it would take to go through Straits of Magellan, because I do think that would be so cool. I mean... Rounding the horn backwards, I think, would be a pretty epic achievement for sure. Um, absolutely miserable, terrifying, and scary. And, you know, you're just out in the ocean. You're just out in the rough ocean. But the Straits of Magellan must be, I mean, amazing to look at, I would think. And uh, pretty hard to navigate through. Uh, obviously, you're using the engine, all that sort of stuff. You're going to have to stop along the way. It'd be pretty neat to sort of follow that route of Slocum through there. Maybe not getting uh, out into the Pacific and getting blown back through the Milky Way and the Beagle Channel and all that. Obviously, that's not going to be very fun, but yeah, it would be pretty epic. And then you go and be able to visit some of those crazy, like uh, the Juan Fernandez Island and stuff like that, where Selkirk was, I believe. Um, gosh, there's just so many great stories uh, from all that that area there, Pitcairn and everything. So I don't know. I, I think if, if the... If, if the trip through the Pacific was going to be like a solo gig or just a, you know, get to like the Marquesas and then link up with people and try and do the rest of them as me and another person, um, I would want to go the Southern route and skip the Panama Canal. Even though I have always wondered about the Panama Canal, I just, you know, I also know it's just going to be a hassle and uh, it it wouldn't have the same adventurous flair, so to speak, that going down to a place like the Straits of Magellan and everything would definitely be. So, I don't know. We'll have to see. Sorry, I bumped the mic there. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I know that eventually, eventually I'm going to have to uh, get, get old Sparrow in the hands of somebody younger and dumber and ready to go off around the world again, that sort of thing. And... You know, those people are easy to find. <laughs> I was one of them. I should know. Ha, ha, ha. But we will uh, we'll come to that, that bridge. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So I'm not too, too worried about it. But I do. I have this great idea, which I'm sure I will question my life choices at some point if it does come to fruition. But it would be to buy, you know, a bigger boat in the 40 to 50 foot range out on the West Coast, project boat, you know. Um, or stick with the West Sail, get a West Sail 43, head off from the West Coast, bring it back to the East Coast via the trades and via the Pacific, Indian Ocean, and then the South Atlantic. I think that would be cool. And do that one in three to five years. You know, no pressure. Haul the boat out during cyclone season, all that sort of stuff. Um, really get into it. You know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm 44 now. Um, you know, if, if this was something that came to fruition by the time I'm like 46, then, hey, spend the next four years, three years, something like that. So do it before I'm 50. And then, you know, uh, I guess just go from there. But, yeah, I think three to four years of going around the world that way would be pretty insanely epic. Um, 
you know, all I got to do is figure out a way to pay for it, and then I should be all right. <laughs> Did I mention I have a book? Yeah, I, I do have a book. And we are selling them this summer. It's pretty cool. It's pretty neat to uh, to have uh, a bit of a physical platform selling them and not just a social media, all that sort of thing. And, I, you know, I, I do... I don't uh I don't hate on the old social media quite as much as like uh Rutherford does and stuff and I understand his gripes with it. I mean, I have plenty of very similar ones, but I also remember the days of you know, if you wanted to do an ad and reach a large number of people, you had to purchase like a page in a magazine and the fact that we have the ability to come up with something creative, put it out there in the world and uh you know, see how it does. And if you're really good at it and you create something that's really interesting or funny or whatever, it can be seen by, you know, untold amounts of people. So I think there is something to be said for it. Uh, but in any event, it's just it's just really nice to see the book on a shelf uh, again, which is kind of cool. <sighs> but we'll we'll uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I am uh, very, very. Not nervous, but I still have some plotting and planning to do my first presentation of the uh, disaster voyage. I still don't even have a name for it, but like, you know, when I would do the talk about Trip Around the World, that's, you know, titled Sailing Into Oblivion. But for this new one, I haven't quite figured out exactly what's, nothing's rolling off the tongue yet. So if anybody has any ideas, uh, basically it's based around this last voyage getting Basically hit by the rogue wave, turned upside down, all the broken stuff, and then trying to logistically deal with crisis management, triage, and then basically getting back and surviving the trip, so to speak. And what all that entails, narrated by me, and then also with the video clips. So trying to come up with something for that, but I'm going to be doing them starting next week for the next 10 weeks, every single week in front of a live audience to try and bang it out. And, uh, yeah, hopefully be able to hit the road, a little, little, uh, speaking tour kind of thing, um, this fall to gain some funds and see where that can take me for the winter. And, you know, I'm not, I was putting a little bit of pressure on myself with it, I'm not anymore. It's one of those things where, you know what, if if it doesn't work out, then I just get a job, hunker down for the winter uh, somewhere down south, earn the money that way, uh, and uh, and just go from there. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. I'm, I'm still keeping, keeping the old fingers crossed that I can actually pull this thing off. You know, when I first got back from the trip around the world, it was, it was kind of a quick shot right into doing a whole bunch of speaking gigs. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I ended up actually, you know, either breaking even or losing money on most of them. And, you know, those were good lessons to learn a bit of a smack in the face sometimes, but Hey, that's how you learn best. At least I do. It's not until you really take a big hit that you're like, you know, maybe I ought to rethink this a little, let's actually put some time into this. So if I have learned from the mistakes uh, that I made in the past, I think it should go pretty well. It'd be pretty cool to hit the road, get to meet all the people, all that sort of stuff, and kind of just go from there. But yeah, I don't know. I hate the whole money thing, obviously, but uh, it's a necessary evil, and we'll just we just got to keep plugging away. Although I, I would say the only the sort of silver lining is it does make life a little interesting because you have to sort of strive for something. You have this sort of I don't want to call it a side thing, but it really, you know, you're trying to like live your life, do the things you want, but you need this to be able to do those things. And so in order to get that, you need to do these other things. So I don't know. It's one of those uh, strange facts of life. Sorry about all the sniffles. I'm trying to keep it minimal as possible and I can just hear myself doing it. It's terrible. I, I really... I apologize. I definitely do. So on to the next subject. I, I like I said, I've been having a blast watching Rutherford, man. Oh, he's it's it's so nice to watch like quality video made up because they are really, you know, kind of having this adventure. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot of drama. Uh, so they're doing it right. Hopefully they will capture quite an audience doing that and everything. But yeah, they had to haul out up in in uh, Newfoundland and God, it was so funny to watch the yard guys and 
It's just, I, it was so atypical. And I'm only saying this because I've been a yard guy for enough summers up in Maine that I, I feel like I could speak for our kind. But essentially, like, when the work needs to be done, the yard hands have bad attitudes. They don't want to do anything. They're slow, all that sort of stuff. And I'm not saying my team up at Night Marine because they are five-star, but, you know, uh, there's been times where the attitude ain't great. Uh, I'm not going to lie there. Um, But you get finished with work and uh, start cracking some brewskis or something like that. Everybody's all buddied up. And in this video, this last one that they did, the nightmare or something in Nova Scotia, or not Nova, Newfoundland, uh, it was pretty funny because it was just, I mean, completely stereotypical yard guys and how they go through it. And uh, Matt's just trying his best, his boat just got issues. And then he had another crew member. I'm doing a lot of spoilers here. A crew member like fell and broke an arm or something. Swear he is cursed. You know, I wouldn't step foot on that boat. I'd I'd be too worried I'm going to break a leg or an arm or something like that. It's like, I think it's happened every single season. He loses like one or two crew members to that. So, but he's, he's struggling on. It's definitely entertaining. Watch those videos. Uh, It's the ocean research project is the handle on YouTube. And it's got a pretty small following at this point, but I definitely have faith. It's going to grow because the videos are great. The content's great. And, and Matt's actually He's real deal out there saying, I mean, they're headed up to the Arctic Circle. They're headed up to Greenland. That's that's um, that's the real stuff. The real McCoy, if you will. But, man, I tell you, it's so strange being a solo sailor. You don't have crew. You don't have any of the drama. You don't have any of that stuff going. It's just you and the boat. And, yeah, it might be lonely sometimes. Uh, heck, you know, there's there's times where... The last thing I want to do is be on that ocean alone, going through either good or bad times. Seems like it's the extremes is when you really don't want it. When it's so incredibly gorgeous, like sunset, sunrise, stars are out, you just want to share it with the entire world. Then the other time is when it's you know terrifying and there's lightning bolts striking the ocean around you or 25-foot waves and all that sort of stuff is going on. That's usually a time where you kind of, Wish you were not alone, or at least I do. I don't know. But, uh, it's a whole nother story when you're stuck with a whole bunch of people on the boat because there's plenty of times I'm sure that if I was on a boat now with a whole full crew, which I haven't done in a long time at this point, uh, like a full like offshore passage sort of thing, um, I'm sure there would be plenty of times where... I'm like, oh, get these people off of my boat. Uh, but I am still looking for possible delivery. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we had this solo sailor captain. He came on and he went crazy. Uh, no, I, you know, that's the nice part about deliveries. Uh, usually when you do get to the night watches and such, whoever's on watch is pretty much alone for at least like three hours minimum. And you get your alone time. You get your your stars and your quiet and all that sort of stuff. And so it is it is pretty nice. But I, you know, through and through, I'm definitely a solo sailor for sure. But I, you know, like I was saying before, with South Pacific, eh, I feel like that'd be a place you'd want to share. I, I definitely feel like that. But yeah, definitely check out Rutherford's. He's, dude, he's just got his hands full, man. He's keeping a pretty decent little attitude going. I think he's... He's a very unique guy. I cannot wait one of these days. I'm hoping this fall to be able to sit down with him on this show and, you know, do a nice like two, three hour podcast. Just get into it. You know, uh, I plan plan on that with uh, good old Randall Reeves as well. Love to sit down with John Kretschmer and people have have hit me up with some other people for sure that I don't know of uh, that I, I haven't heard of. And uh yeah, if I'm able to hit the road, I'm going to hit as many places as I can for either talks or just sit down with people for the podcast. So it'll be interesting this summer. It's going to be hard. The workload is pretty hefty. And not being on Mighty Sparrow, it's can be a little bit hard coming up with things to to talk about and stuff. But, you know, like I said, going to try my best. Going to just keep on plugging away.
All right, and now on to our our final little topic that I wanted to talk to and talk about uh, sort of in the same realm as the last show that we did about mass climbing gear. I wanted to share a little bit of my thoughts as per requested on uh, on the Patreon site about pulling out your jib, using a spinnaker pole essentially on a boat and what you do with it, how you stow it, all that sort of stuff. Because it's kind of, I have a, a bit of a strange history with it, I would like to say. It's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I had on the boat for a while, kind of messed around with it a little bit. But it took a while before uh, I actually got into um, trying to. Okay, and who's this from? This is from Chris. All right, Chris hooked this up until I realized uh, I'm going to best. Oh no, no, no! It wasn't from me. Uh, who was it from? Oh, shoot! Now I'm screwing it up. I'm staring at the screen. I'm trying to do a podcast. Oh man! Let's see. Nope. Uh, no, no, wasn't Chris. Chris was the one who talked about the whole mass thing. Let's see, let's see. Mark Taylor, do, 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 do. Jody, was it Jody? Her podcast. Oh, no, but shout out to Jody, uh, who listens to the podcast. He lives in Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, he's been going through some rough stuff and all everything, and I hope everything kind of turns around and all that. But I'm pretty, pretty stoked to get an email from you. Uh, that was definitely really, really cool. And uh, I'm, you know, I, lately I've been getting quite a few emails about that sort of subject where people are just sort of, I don't know, encouraging me a little bit um, because I think some of the rambling that I do somehow encourages other people to get through some of the stuff. And, uh, I think that's about one of the nicest compliments anybody could get in the world. And, uh, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Let's see, Patrick. So Jody, shout out to you, bud. Let's see. Do you do unfortunately, man, I can't even find it. All right. Well, you know who you are. You wrote in, you wanted to hear about spinnaker poles and pulling out the jib and all that sort of stuff, and that's what I am going to give you right now. So I had a collapsible or tripoding or whatever you would, telescoping, whatever, um, spinnaker pole on the west sail. So essentially I can shift it and, and extend it way out and use it as a traditional uh, spinnaker pole for a big traditional symmetrical, uh, spinnaker, which I did. I used to do that, uh, when the weather conditions were just right. And I had this big old colorful spinnaker and everything. It was a lot of fun until I broke the pole and it was all my own fault. Um, you know, a spinnaker pole is a compression post, just like a mass, just like, uh, anything on, 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 Sparrow, you've got the bowsprit. That's a compression post. You got the boomkin. That's compression post. Um, so it has to be utilized in the correct way, and that means that everything gets attached to the ends and not in the middle. And I had played the fool a little bit early on in the game. Uh, this was actually on the trip from the Caribbean after the training to go up to Maine to prepare for the trip around the world. Not a bad day, light to moderate breeze, put the spinnaker up with the spinnaker pole. Mongo was doing a great, Mongo won. The first iteration was doing great. We are actually sailing. Wind started to pipe up a little bit, uh, and the pole started to lift. And instead of taking the whole thing down and doing it correctly, I just tied really quickly a downhaul right about at the point where the telescoping part comes, so the two sections meet. Well... That didn't work out really well. It only took about a half an hour before a big enough puff came, and it just basically snapped the spinnaker pole right at that point. So I was no longer using it as a compression post, and I paid the price. And because I don't have a huge amount of funds, whatever, I uh, just figured, you know, I'm probably not going to be using spinnaker anyway uh, on the big trip. And so I cut the damage section off, shortened it, so that essentially I could just use it for pulling out the drifter and then pulling out the staysail. And um, it lives, a lot of them, I see people that have them kind of, oh, <laughs> that snuck up on me. A lot of people have them sort of up their mast a little bit. 
And so the one side gets connected and uh, it's just forward on the mast. Hold on, we got to take a, a nose break here. And I was I was always jealous of that setup because I thought, wow, you know, that keeps the deck nice and clear and it's like packed away and, and it's sort of not in the way. But uh, I found my own little solution, um, just stashing it right on the deck. It really didn't seem to be in the way. It was easily accessible. I could unlash it. I only lash it in three little spots and I'm able to do that sort of seated on the deck. I'm not lowering the pole down or anything like that. And there's no track to deal with. And, uh, essentially first started using it to pull out my number four jib and then also the drifter. And, you know, it took a while to get just right. Uh, I used to mark the sheets, uh, so that essentially my game plan was to be able to set the whole thing up without the headsail raised, but I could connect it up to the sheet and raise the sail all in one shot. It's already sheeted perfect just about, and it's going to be where it wants to be, and all I have to do is raise that higher because I want to make it super simple. And one of the things that I found, because it's got that traditional beak on the end of it where you pull the line, it opens the little teeth, and then you put put the sheet over it and then you close it and it locks it into place well rather than hook up other lines and other sheets and guys and all that sort of stuff braces if you will i ended up trying to make it super simple where essentially i i bowl in my sheet off to the sail to the clue of the sail and then about three inches behind that there's a big old stopper knot so there's that little gap there, and the beak goes in between those two. So I'm just using the sheet that I'm always using, and I just hook it on there, and then I can go ahead and raise that sail, and boom, it's right there. I don't have to run any extra lines, and Bob's your uncle. I'm off and running, and I use it more often than not with the staysail when I'm running straight downwind or close to it, and it is phenomenal. It just adds that extra bit of balance, that extra bit of horsepower. It's super easy to use. Like in the beginning, I was always worried. Like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to be up on that foredeck. We got a squall coming through. I don't want to have to not only be up there sort of balancing, but I also, you know, I don't want to have a big heavy pole in my hand and trying to figure that out. And then a sail as well. Like what all the possibilities that things could go wrong. Well, come to find out that not only can I set it up pretty easily before I set the sail, so all I have to do is get everything in position, and then I head back to the cockpit, I raise that halyard, and boom, the sail and everything, pole, everything is perfect. But if I need to douse it, the weight of the pole actually makes that go really fast. All I have to do, because it's only going to basically, the pole's going to drop down and rest on the lifeline, I can just dump the halyard and the whole thing, boom, straight down. So squall rolls in, quick, easy, it comes down. I don't even have to go up there and deal with it. I can wait till the squall passes, and then I can go ahead and uh, either stash it away and change sail, or I can go up and just raise it again. And, I mean, it has been fantastic. It's been sort of a lifesaver when I'm doing the, the big downwind stuff. And, you know, Sparrow, and I think it's mostly with just the staysail. Uh, if I have one of the small jibs, like number three or number four, you know, 100% or, or 80% jib up there. Again, I got the bow sprit, so it's a little different. Um, as soon as I get into that broad reach mode, if the C state is wrong or whatever, you get a lot of collapsing and then filling of the jib. And definitely happens with the staysail a lot because it also gets a little hidden behind that mainsail. And... That's a pain, uh, but if you pull it out, oh, it's a whole different story. Now, all of a sudden, you've got it way out there, and it's just solid because I don't like shock load. I hate shock load on a boat where something collapses, and then it fills up with a big pop. Uh, a lot of load goes on, too. A lot of tension on the rig, and that's the one problem. The other problem is that you know I don't want to hear it, especially when I'm trying to sleep. I can't sleep. If, if a sail is collapsing and then you know, bong, filling back up. It's not happening. I am not sleeping until that has been arrested or changed. Um, just because of I, I, I don't know what it is about me, but I cannot sleep through that sort of stuff. And the pole is an absolute like game changer when it comes to that. Get up there, hook all that up. And sometimes, you know, the staysail and the mainsail are on the same side and it's pulled out that way. Other times, 
straight downwind. So I can use it pretty much on a deep, broad reach or a dead run and go wing on wing. I really like that one for when it's boosting and I'm surfing waves. You know, the boat rolls quite a bit, but you get that extra bit of speed. I think my favorite is about 20, 20 to 22 knots of wind. Uh, maybe up to 25, I guess, with uh, one or two reefs in the main. Stay still pulled out opposite side, and you're just boosting along, rolling like crazy. But, man, you are just moving. Oh, the speed is just absolutely epic. And, yeah, you get that balance and everything. It just, it just all feels right. Once you get once you get past the rolling motion, then, then it all feels pretty much good. But, yeah, yeah. Um, the pole, one of the one of the tricky parts though, is sort of the setup, um, and and you can best do that, I think, on a windless day in a marina, where you can have your sail up there and you can go ahead and pull it out. You can raise and lower it. You can change sheet angles and where things are going. Uh, I know for my staysail, I have to actually rerun the sheet really quickly so that it actually goes in between the forward lower shroud and the cap shroud. And then when I raise it up, it, the sheeting angle is perfect. Nothing's rubbing. And those are the little things that you can do when you're at a marina because when you're pulled out with that jib or a staysail, that's where that sail's going to be. It's not going to change when the wind comes in it because you're, you're essentially like forcing that sail to just stand at attention. Um, you know, the foot of it and the leech of the sail are, are pretty much tight. And, and it's all just one immobile sort of thing at that point. Instead of when you're just regularly sailing with a headsail, um, you know, the clue of the sail, the trailing corner is just, you know, it's only being held on by a line. So it's kind of free to, to move about and do all that other stuff. But when you pull it out, it's locked in. And, uh, and that's the way to figure it out is do it at the marina. And then you can try all different combinations, figure out where you want the height, all that sort of stuff. And then all you have to do is mark the lines, mark the sheets, mark the halyards, whatever you want to do. And, uh, and you can just nail it and where the blocks are on the tracks and everything. And then all of a sudden you're, you're pretty much good to go. But you know, the, the, the drifter, I used to do that. I can remember having a really good run with it pulled out, uh, going up the coast of Brazil um, headed back towards the Caribbean on the trip around the world. That was in some of the best trade winds I've ever been in most steady, but we had a decent swell and I was, there were a few days where I was really deep, broad reaching with, I believe it was just the drifter up and, uh, but it was still, the motion was just making it just collapse every once in a while. I'd be like once every like 10, 20 minutes, but that was enough for me where, I thought, all right, well, if I put the pole out there, that'll be pretty good. And that's one where the staysail, boom, it's standing at attention. You know, it's not moving at all. But the drifter, the pole's not long enough to actually make it do that. So it's just kind of forcing the clue of the sail to stay out away from the boat. It's not letting it creep forward, collapse, lose its shape, and then fill back up. So it's almost like a guide at that point and not a forceful sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where just like anything on a boat, the more you do it, the better you're going to get, you're going to learn new tricks, new tips with it and everything like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, as far as stowage, I just, it's right there on the deck. I make it so that nothing's going to be able to get caught up on it. Um, it's pretty easy to grab. I like having you know, a nice little spare piece of aluminum tubing as well, just because that, that allows you, I mean, you think about the possibilities of, you know, you lose your mast or this happens or this, you know, having uh 20 foot or 15 foot of, of aluminum is probably not a bad thing to have on a boat. You can utilize that in a multitude of ways. And so that's always good to have. So even if you're not using it, it's nice to have as like sort of a spare spar, so to speak on a boat. So that's definitely always a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen people stash them on the deck. I've, you know, I've dealt with ones where sheets are constantly getting caught around it and things like that. Or, you know, the worst, honestly, is stubbing your toe on it. Oh, I hate that. Um, so mine is on top of the cabin trunk, the, the sort of roof of the boat, if you will. And, uh, it stays out of the way of pretty much everything. 
And yeah, it, it works out pretty good. I wouldn't mind. I thought about putting the second one on there because, you know, working in a boatyard, there's there's a lot of abandoned equipment around that, uh, you know, you might be able to snatch up for less than less than any money. But uh, it's one of those things where yeah, I kept thinking about it. I was like, man, I, man I, don't, I don't know if I need it. I don't know if I need to take up that space with it. Um, just having that one, it's pretty darn nice. But I will say, I if I had the chance to get a, a, the same type, but it was fully telescoping again, where I could use it as a traditional spinnaker, uh, that would be pretty cool. Or use it for a traditional spinnaker. That would be kind of nice to have that uh, option again. But I don't even know if I would use a spinnaker pole because uh, I, I, not having that for all these years, I just run the spinnakers, even though, even though they're a symmetrical traditional spinnaker, I'll run them straight off that bowsprit. Just have a really long tack line. I can ease that way, way out. The whole spinnaker just floats right up in front of the boat. Oh, it's beautiful. It's awesome. I absolutely love it. Super easy. Um, no pole needed, anything like that. And uh, like, like I always say, man, sailors... The ultimate goal is to be as lazy as possible. So you want to make everything simple, simple, simple. But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Now, I'm starting to lose focus with my eyes. I am really, really tired. I need to get a epic night's sleep tonight. Hopefully, I will after being so cold all day. And then, uh, yeah, I've, I've found a couple victims for the show. It's all about just nailing down a little bit of time. And uh, hopefully we will go from there. I really appreciate the support. I am sorry about how late this podcast was. I'm trying to do two shows a week, but it's it. You know, I'm gonna be honest with myself here. It's gonna be a one week, one show per week summer. That's just that's like a fact. Um, I was pretty stressed about it for the last week or so, but I have to have the priorities. Not saying the podcast is not a priority because it definitely is, but. There's a team of people that I'm working with, and uh, I have to make sure that, you know, that contract is fulfilled and I'm doing my due diligence there and everything. But, you know, if I'm able to stank uh, uh, an extra show in or whatever, I'll throw it out there. As always, I appreciate all the support. Thank you all for listening so much. And until next time.